0: Hello and welcome to the photo therapy Podcast, brought to you by Oath Photography. For more information about Oath Photography, visit OathPhoto.com. I'm your host, Philip Slaughter, and today I wanted to talk to you about a few things. This is episode number two. Unfortunately, I started this podcast a couple of years ago, brought out episode number one, recorded a second episode, and never posted it. Here we are a couple of years later. Coming out with episode number two, re-recorded some stuff, and today uh, I wanted to talk to you about the show, um, a few news articles, and how to get started in photography. I created this show to have in-depth discussions with fellow creators to talk about photography, industry, gear, news, and other topics of interest. But today I wanted to talk to you about how to start as a photographer. You've picked up a nice camera, you take photos of your friends and family, but now what? So we're going to talk about that here in just a bit, but first let's look at a few news topics in the photo industry right now. So first up, looking at an article put out by Petapixel. It, the article is titled "Latest Lightroom Update Adds Video Editing, Red Eye Removal, and More." Whoa. So first thing that catches my eye in this article is video, adding video editing to Lightroom. Now this is something that um, I would love as a video creator as well as a photographer. It would be really nice to use some of the same color editing features that I use in Lightroom to also edit video. Now recently, uh, in the last couple of years, Premiere Pro, which is also an Adobe product, has brought out Lumetri Color, which is part of the Premiere program, where you can edit your colors for your video inside of Premiere Pro, which has been great, but it's not quite as robust or as easy to use as Lightroom. Um, So I would love to see some of this playing out in Lightroom, um, because I think that would be a great addition. Uh, You know, some of this stuff, like the other day, I filmed uh, a frog eating a June bug in our backyard. Nothing that I'm really going to use this for specifically um, in my professional work, but I do want to show my kids, like, hey, this is a cool thing. would love to show you. Unfortunately, uh, I shot it, fortunately or unfortunately, I shot it in a log profile. So I have to then go in and color, you know, color grade the video, make sure it looks good, and then I can show it to them without it being too muddy or, you know, flat looking. But in order to do that, I have to open up Premiere. Then I have to color grade it. Then I have to save it. You know, there's a lot of things that um, go into that when I don't necessarily want to create a whole new project for that in Premiere. But if I could bring that into Lightroom and do a little bit of color grading in something I'm already familiar with, show it to them right then and there, Oh, man, that would be so much easier to do uh, that kind of editing in Lightroom. So I think this would be awesome. Uh, Another thing they talk about in this article is AI-assisted red-eye removal, um, which, you know, great. I I don't have that much of an issue dealing with red-eye removal because typically when you have that, it's from an on-camera flash that is lighting up the back of the eyeball and, creating this red eye effect in the photos i don't typically shoot that way with an on-camera flash so that's not something i would deal with but when i have had that happen in the past super nice to have a red eye removal feature in a program so you know that's great uh good for them for improving their product because there's lots of other products that we could be using and if they don't keep up then we're going to move on to something else all right, another article that I'm looking at here on the DP Review website. DJI, you know, the drone manufacturer, also making really good gimbals now, just came out with a camera that has a built in gimbal. Super interesting things that they're working on. DJI joins the L Mount Alliance and adds ProRes 4444, is that right? 44s, Four, XQ video capture to the Ronin 4D, which is that camera with the built-in gimbal. So, a couple of things going on here. DJI joins the L-Mount Alliance, which is really interesting because the L-Mount Alliance is, which I think is the fifth company now, uh, DJI makes the fifth member of the partnership, which consists of Leica. Light Cine, which is the kind of Leica um, cinema lenses... Um, they're really fancy, really nice. Uh, so, they're also a part of the L-Mount Alliance, as well as Panasonic, which make the GH5s, the SH1s, I think it's called, and then Sigma, which, you know, makes tons of lenses and a few cameras that are interesting. So, DJI joining this is huge for that L-Mount Alliance, being able to use those lenses across the board on all of these different cameras. So, this would be great for people who are using maybe the GH5 or GH6 now um, camera. That's a small, medium, or a small, small to medium-sized mirrorless camera. It's a um, you know really good for video. Also does some photos. But what if you want to upgrade to this new DJI Ronin 4D video camera with the gimbal built in and all that kind of stuff? Now you can use the same lenses that you use on all these other cameras that you probably already own and put it on this larger, more pro action camera thing that they have without having to switch all your other gear and all your other lenses and stuff like that. So this is super interesting that they're joining this L-mount Alliance to to add that to to the mix. So I think it'll be interesting to see how this L-mount Alliance works in the future. Um, I think obviously Panasonic and Leica are the two biggest companies that are producing cameras that will fit these lenses, but then also Sigma is a huge provider of lenses, you know, so for them to all come together and work under the same umbrella, creating the same mount, um, I think could be really good for the people that use those cameras and for the photography community in general. So There's that. And then uh, last one I want to talk about is on digitalcameraworld.com. Talking about artificial intelligence in photography. Um, And this is something that, you know, I think is interesting. I think this is a, could be good for the photography community, but also, um, you know, artificial intelligence has this very interesting connotation to it with are the machines going to take over the world and blah 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 well if you take that into photography world are the machines or the computers or the cameras that have this stuff built in who's actually taking the picture because if i'm the one pushing the shutter or setting up the camera and then hitting a timer I'm the photographer. I own the copyright to those photos. I'm the one that is officially taking those photos. I'm the photographer. Now, what happens if I have a camera with built-in artificial intelligence and I point the camera in the right direction, I have all the settings right, but then the computer or the camera or whatever decides when to take that photo? Who owns the copyright to that? You know? Uh, There was this huge legal debate years ago, um, five or six years ago maybe, about this uh, monkey at a zoo that reached out and took a photo on somebody else's camera. I don't know if the photographer was holding the camera or had it on a tripod, but the monkey went over, hit the shutter button, took a basically selfie, I think it was, and the photographer said, oh, yeah, this is funny, whatever, whatever has this selfie of a monkey, then, um, you know, can use it on social media or use it in, uh, you know, stock photography or just in the news in general, selling the photo, whatever. And there's this huge legal debate on who owns the copyright. And I think it ended up coming down to that the monkey actually owned the copyright because it pushed this shutter button, taking the actual photo. I know it's a little weird to think about like he didn't set up the camera. He didn't bring the camera. He didn't provide the camera, but he pushed the button. So he owns the copyright. Now let's take that and extrapolate it across, you know, years and years from now when computers are smart enough to do this kind of stuff for us, we bring the camera, we provide the camera, we set up the camera, but the computer or the camera, takes the photo at the designated perfect time to take the photo, who's the photographer? Who owns the copyright? That's where I think this AI becomes really, I don't know, interesting or scary because there are lots of background legal things that could be looming that we have to be very careful about. In computers and editing, I think AI has and is and will be a super helpful tool. For example, there are things that we are already using that use somewhat of an AI kind of platform, like eye detect autofocus. I'm a Sony user. Um, Sony has amazing eye detect and face detect autofocus. And now some cameras have airplane autofocus, car autofocus, animal eye autofocus, all these sorts of things, bird eye autofocus. So using some of those, if I can set up my shot, half press on the shutter button, get autofocus, nail focus on an eyeball, especially with some of these like 1.4 prime lenses that I use quite often, if I can nail that autofocus right away super quick, chasing after my kids and taking pictures of them having fun, that's one thing that I don't have to worry about as much as nailing the autofocus because I can rely on the intelligence of the camera to take, to take care of that portion of it for me. When I hit the, the shutter button, super helpful. There's also other things like the um, auto detect subject recognition in Lightroom or in Photoshop where, you know, you want to change the colors or change the lighting or change the, you know, whatever on a specific subject. So you click the button and it says, you know, do you want to detect the sky? Do you want to detect the subject? Whatever. You can click that and then, you know, spins around for a second. Boom. You've already got those things selected that you can edit just those specific portions of the photo. That's awesome. But then also um, programs like Photoshop with the neural filters or Luminar, which is an awesome program that helps you, you know, you click the button, it sets up what it thinks is the best edit for that photo or, you know, whatever. And then you can kind of tweak it here and there. I think things like that are awesome that you can streamline what you're doing as far as editing or kind of get started on the right path for some of your editing and then tweak it to just right, um, for your style. Uh, I think stuff like that is really interesting, but the AI, as far as, you know, some of this legal stuff with who's taking the photo that, that could be really problematic in the future. So anyways, just a few, uh, news articles that I, I was reading through and thought were super interesting for the podcast. Now, I do want to talk about uh, kind of our main topic of the podcast today is how to get started in photography. How did I get started? Um, you know, picked up a camera when I was really young, got super interested in like composition and lighting and stuff like that. Kind of worked my way up and my parents bought me a SLR film SLR camera. I used like 1970s camera that they picked up at a garage sale started using that, started understanding the exposure triangle between the ISO. At that time, ISO was built into the film, so you, you couldn't change it. But what you could change was the, um, the f-stop or the iris of the camera. You could open that up to get more light. Or you could also, if you wanted to leave that alone, or also you know, work in conjunction with the shutter speed, which the faster the shutter speed, the less time light has to get into your camera. expose the film or your sensor now for digital so that was super helpful for me Um, i think it's even more helpful nowadays with digital being able to understand the exposure triangle using manual mode on some of these nicer cameras either nicer point and shoot or nicer you know dslr or mirrorless cameras because you can take a photo you can you can read the meter take a photo. And then review the photo right away. In my day, way back in my day, I had to take the photo, either try and remember the settings or write them down, or, you know, just hope that I got it right. And then review the photos, you know, a week from now, whatever, you know, however long it took me to develop the film. I had to wait and then kind of learn as I went on. So it was a much more drawn out learning process for me, learning the exposure triangle. But I think that's a super key, you know, thing for you to learn at some point in your photography career as you're starting out. Is it the first thing you need to learn? No, it doesn't have to be learning composition, learning how light falls onto your subject and capturing it the right way is also super important to get started. Uh, cameras are so smart nowadays that you could leave it on a or like the aperture mode or P for program mode or, you know, whatever your camera has. what that's what my camera has and what a lot of camera has cameras have. I know Canon has their own little, you know, AV and TV and whatever. Um, <clears throat> but learning how to use some of those modes and taking the photo with good lighting, good composition, then you can kind of move into your manual mode. Um, Later on, if if that's the the route that you decide to do, okay. So what comes next after you learn how to take pictures? Volunteer your time. Some people are going to disagree with this because if you start that um, thought process of giving away things, that's what people are going to expect for a long time. And you know, that's fair. You don't always want to always give away free stuff, but. You do want to start that way, in my opinion, because when you are able to either volunteer your time or give photos away for free, that takes the weight off of you of, I have to give perfect, you know, perfect photos, um, that takes that weight off of you. You're giving something for free. They're getting what they pay for in some cases, in some cases you're giving it to someone who's going to appreciate it and then hire you back later on, you know? But, <clears throat> volunteering to take photos at your church. Volunteering to take photos at your family reunion. You know, hey, let me take your, everybody's family photos. Volunteering to go on a walk with your friends and taking pictures of their kids. Whatever the case may be. Start that way. Start doing that. The more repetition that you can get with your camera, the more you're going to understand your camera. What it can do and what it can't do. You will also learn... Hey, this is cool lighting. Hey, that is terrible lighting. I will never do that again. Things like that, that you can do on your own time, that you can do for free for others, adding that value for others while also training yourself in how to do those things is awesome. The more repetition you get with that, the more you're going to learn. As long as you're going into it thinking, I want to learn something. You can't just take pictures and send them to somebody on Google Drive without gaining something from that. So while you may be doing it for free for somebody, they're not paying you, you're gaining something, and that is education and knowledge of your camera, lighting, composition, you know, exposure triangle, things like that to get you started. Then some of the next couple of steps you can kind of do in your own order, but I would start to develop a style. Um, So that includes learning how to edit, maybe um, being a consumer of other people's media, whether it be paintings or um, filmmaking or other photographers or even music, things that will inspire you to develop a style that will be uniquely yours. And I'm not saying that you have to do something so unique that it doesn't match anybody else's, I'm saying, hey, if you like this person's photo on Instagram, save it. Go back and remember, like, what are the things that I like about this photo? Is it the lighting? Is it the coloration that they've used? Is it the composition? Is it the depth of field? What is it that I like about this photo? And take that and use it in your artwork when you create some of your photos. Use what uh, inspires you to help develop your style to create something new. And, and that's going to change over time too. The more you learn about photography, the more you learn about li- um the more you learn about lighting, the more you learn about editing and um things like that, technique. There are lots of things that I did back in the day that was like that's my style, that's cool. And you know, at the time it was cool. But techniques have changed. I've learned more about how to be technically better at photography so that I can incorporate kind of a perfect photo into a style that looks similar to what I, I like to put out. So as part of that, you're probably going to want to invest in, not just gear that will come later, but invest in education. So finding you know, an online editing course or going to um, some local libraries, even provide photo classes where you can learn about how to use your camera, how to use your, you know, editing software, how to use different things like that to um, to better yourself as a photographer. So do some of those. Um, you can also join like local um, photography guilds or visual arts guilds that help you understand the world of visual arts to better yourself in the future. Then, I would say, volunteer your time again, but or you know, work for cheap for another photographer be their assistant tell them hey i want to get into this can i can i work with you can i shadow you can i be your assistant you know you don't have to pay me or you can pay me minimum wage whatever it is get into that world as much as you can to learn everything that you can from somebody else's um, either job or mistakes because you want to learn those mistakes before you make them on your own You will make plenty of mistakes as a photographer and that's okay as long as you learn from them, but learn from somebody else as much as you can. That speeds up the process so much. So to recap, learn your camera, learn your style, learn your editing, learn your lighting, learn all of those things. Then learn from somebody else then and volunteer your time all throughout this as much as you can, or get paid, you know, small amounts if you if you can do that for friends or family or whatever then once you have done that once you've kind of saved some of that money or whatever you know and reinvesting into yourself as far as education then you can move on to investing in better camera equipment or invest in camera equipment when you need it so a couple things that i would recommend for this is one either rent gear when you can when you need it for like a professional shoot like hey I'm going to charge you 50 bucks because that's what it costs for me to rent this new lens that I really want to try out. It's going to make your photos look a little bit better, but I need to learn how to use some of this other gear and learn how to do some of the stuff. So I've got to charge you 50 bucks, you know, that type of thing, rent gear, borrow it if you can. Or if you're on some of these gigs with other professional photographers, say, Hey, can I, can I check out your camera? Can I look through the viewfinder to see what this lens looks like? And uh, get an idea of how some of that works. Figure out what works for your style, what doesn't work for your style, and you can kind of learn how to invest in your gear that way. Other ways of investing in your gear for maybe a little bit less expensive is buying used. Uh, I've bought a ton of used gear over the years as far as, you know, photo, video, audio equipment. Um, Buying used can save you a lot of money as long as you kind of know what you're looking for if you know what you're wanting and know if it's in good condition. So talking to people on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, eBay, things like that where you can find you know, used gear that still works great. You can save yourself hundreds of dollars doing that kind of stuff. So when you're starting out, that's a good way to kind of get into it for a little bit cheaper. Now, once you're professional and you have an you know a business or an LLC or an S-Corp or something like that where you're reinvesting your money into your job, you're going to probably want to buy brand new stuff occasionally when it makes sense. So like a brand new camera body makes a lot of sense because nobody's messed with the settings. Nobody's dropped it or doesn't have any like internal flaws. Uh, hopefully, if it's brand new, that's one th- less thing to worry about when you're on a professional shoot making money, taking up somebody else's time um, to, to do this kind of stuff. And then once you have done that, once you do have your own business and you're making money at this kind of thing, rinse and repeat, just on the, like on the back of your uh, shampoo bottle, it says rinse and repeat. You're going to want to do all of this stuff all over again. Now I'm not saying start from square one, but you are going to want to, once you've got your nice camera, you've got a professional business, you've got, you know, all this kind of stuff, start with some of the basics again, not necessarily volunteering your time, but make sure you learn how you, your gear works, learn its limits. What can I do with this camera? What can I not do with this camera? Um, Things like that. Learn more about editing, learn more techniques, learn more styles, learn more um, reinvesting into yourself and your business and your editing, things like that to get better and better and better because when you get better you can charge more and when you charge more you can reinvest in yourself more and it's kind of this cycle of like you got to be investing in yourself investing in your education investing in your equipment so that you can reinvest all of that time and effort to be better at your job make more money to reinvest in yourself the better you get the more you can charge things like that okay so Always be learning. And it doesn't always, I mean, like you could be the best in your field at whatever sub niche genre, but maybe you need to learn more about business or learn more about communication with your clients or learn more about delivering photos, you know, things like that um, will help you in the long run. And then you need to turn around and teach others how to do that. So we've gone from beginner with a brand new camera to expert expert. It's always be, always be learning, reinvest in yourself and then invest in others. Okay. So if you have any questions or anything like that, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I, I love helping other people as far as learning more about their cameras, learning what to look for, learning what to buy, learning about techniques, um, things like that. So I want to pour into others as well, because I've had plenty of people invest in me over the you know, my career and I want to help others do that as well. So the last part of our discussion today is a gear recommendation. I've already told you to invest in yourself, invest in your education, then invest in your gear. But I also like talking about gear and I love finding new things that help me with my photography. And so one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about is for, especially for mirrorless shooters is ND filters and specifically I use uh, case it's spelled K-A-S-E case uh, clip in filters and so I have um, I have a Sony I have a couple of Sony um, full frame bodies that I, I have an ND filter that slips right in right above the sensor so you have, kind of have to be careful but uh, so it's super easy you just kind of pop it in there close it and then you can put whatever lens on it on top of that um which is super handy because you don't have to buy all sorts of different filter sizes of ND filters. Now, what is an ND filter? So an ND filter is kind of like polarized sunglasses where you know you put your sunglasses on and you can see kind of all the different ranges of light, but it's a little bit darker. So it's a shade kind of thing, which is super helpful when you're using some of these prime lenses that have the 1.4, or the 1.8, or even 2.8, f-stop but you want to keep your shutter speed down to a certain level basically think of it as sunglasses for your camera makes it darker so you can adjust your other settings properly for super bright um, things this is especially helpful for video because kind of the rule of thumb with video is you're supposed to shoot at a 180 degree angle Now, if you don't know what that is please go look it up it's super interesting Basically, the sharpest image that you can get is when you have double the shutter speed. So the number is double whatever your frame rate is. So if you're shooting at 24p, which is 24 frames per second, you want to have your shutter speed at 1 of a second, or 1 50th or sometimes 1 60th, depending on the camera that you have. You want to have your shutter speed around that to give you the sharpest, best image for video. But if you have some of those prime lenses that open up super wide, or if it's a super bright day, or if you're shooting a log and your base ISO is 800 or 1600 ISO, you're going to have to darken your image somehow. So a lot of people use aperture. They'll just close it down, but that doesn't always give you the look that you're going for. So then you have to add an Indie filter. A lot of people use variable Indie filters that will screw onto the end of your lens. Some lenses, like super wide-angle lenses, don't work that way. You can't do that. Um, some cameras have huge, giant front elements that you can't easily find variable Indie filters for. Or, you know, you have eight different lenses and you have to have eight different sizes of ND filters. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense economically when you could have just one clip in indie filter so check those out case indie filters uh, i bought mine on i think bnhphoto.com so <clears throat> check those out gear recommendation of the week all right, and I think that is going to do it for today's podcast. Thanks so much for joining us on the Photo Therapy Podcast. Um, if you'd like to check in and connect with me, you can do that on Instagram at Oath underscore photography. Same on Facebook. Just search Oath Photography. Or go to OathPhoto.com and you'll find everything that you need there uh, feel free to reach out to me, ask me any questions. And if you'd like to join the podcast, shoot me uh, an email on OathPhoto.com. You'll find the email or contact us um, form and you can email me and uh, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to talk with more creatives, more photographers, videographers, audio engineers, um, and other, you know, visual artists. Uh, I'd love to connect with you and uh, learn more about how you do your artistic Uh, endeavors. So we'll wrap up this episode by saying, invest in yourself and invest in others. That's the way to go. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you later in the next episode.